Amen. Well, you ready to go, church? Yeah. Let's have some fun. What do you say? It's me. Tim's gone. We're going to get after it. If you've got a Bible, you can open up to Psalm 19. That's where we're going to be today, in the book of Psalms. We just finished up Ephesians last week, and we're going to be doing some things in a couple of weeks. But uh, if you were with us this summer, we spent six weeks in the book of Psalms. We covered the whole thing. Um, that's a joke. You didn't get it. That's okay. Um, Psalms is a long book. So we thought we, something we want to do is we want to revisit it from time to time throughout the year. And they were going to be gone today. They said, Caleb, what do you want to do? I said, let's jump into the Psalms. Um, Psalm 19, a wonderful little psalm. And it has to deal with this idea of the revelation of God. And what I mean by that is not the book of Revelations. I don't know a lot. That, that book confuses me. When people ask me my thoughts on Revelation, I say, he's coming back and we don't know when. End of, end of my discussion. Um, but the revelation of God, what I mean by that is, when was God revealed to you, and how was that done? A few weeks ago, when we were in Ephesians, I shared the story of my dad, how he came uh, to say yes to Jesus. My dad was this druggy hippie, and on his way to doing, uh, just a crazy, crazy guy, and the Lord intervened in his life, and God revealed himself to my dad, and everything about my dad was changed, and because of that, I'm up here today and doing all these things. I was around God my whole life. I introduced to who he was in my home. It was taught to me, studied. Uh, we were in church. Uh, those things were important. And that's how God was revealed to me. And I also grew up in Oklahoma City, and so it was around, right? Like those of us who grew up around here in Oklahoma City or in Oklahoma, basically if I said, tell me something about God or what is the Bible or who is Jesus, I could get an answer. This area, we could get an answer. God has been revealed to us through whatever, through books, people, churches, friends, uh, Netflix documentaries, whatever it is, God has been revealed to us in some shape, form, or fashion. That's just the way it goes. Um, in fact, I went and taught a class at a public school a few weeks ago on the rise of Christianity in Rome. And I asked, tell me anything about Christianity. And they talked for like 25 minutes. People know. It's just, it's out there. It's knowledge. A few years ago, I was working in a church that I didn't want to work in anymore. And I was trying to get out of there. And I was like, Lord, what do I do? But I didn't want to give up what it gave for me. And finally, the Lord said, you're going to leave now. And I was like, you got it. Um, I didn't have anything to do. I was applying for jobs all over the place and couldn't get a call back. I called First Baptist Idabel like 42 times. They would never call me back. It's unbelievable. <laughs> I couldn't get a job. Like, it, nobody wanted me, didn't have anything to do. And I was like, Lord, you wanted me to be a preacher, but no one wants me. Okay. And he was like, yep, you're right. Um, so, then, <clears throat> so then somebody called and was like, hey, I got an opportunity for you. Uh, do you want to come get a job at university? And I was like, that makes me sound cool. I'd love to be Professor Caleb. I definitely fit that bill, right, church? <laughs> um, they said, we got an opportunity for you. It's, uh, you'll come here and you're going to teach ESL, which is English as a Second Language. And I had no prospects or nothing going for me. And I was like, sure, uh, why not? And they're like, you'll come observe for a couple months, and then you'll start teaching your own classes. So I go up, show up. They're like, here's what you're going to do, blah, 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 blah. Um, and I was like, okay, awesome. And then the night before, it was Sunday night, I got called about 7 p.m., and the director was like, okay, you're not going to observe. You're actually going to teach tomorrow. And, I, and I'm like, this is no good. <laughs> this is no good. Um, so I walk in, and in our program, we have about 80 students and about 74 of them are from Saudi Arabia, uh, Kuwait, Iran, and Iraq. Um, so I went from teaching in a church, uh, doing all these things, and then I'm in a room, uh, got up 78 uh, Muslim students in front of me, and I walk in, and I got to teach English, uh, see, grammar, writing, uh, vocab, and reading. And I walk into my first class, terrified, and I'm, you know, put, it's like straight out of a movie, like a comedy, like I sit down, I'm like, hello. My name, this is exactly how I did it. My name is Teacher Caleb, and I'm excited 
to be here with you. And a hand goes up, and I said, yes. And he said, Muhammad. And I said, Mohammed. And he goes, Muhammad. And I said, okay. And he go, I said, yes. And he goes, we've all been here a year and a half. <laughs> you can say whatever you want, man. You just do you. And I was like, okay, okay. So had a conversation, talking to Teresa a little bit, my wife, and I just had a daughter at that time. I was telling them about her, and they're like, show us pictures, teachers. We want to do this. So they're talking to me about all these things, and it was great. That's how my reading class went. And then my writing class, same time, different group of students. They had all been in their upper levels. We had six le- or zero, level zero, one, two, three, four, five, six. So I was getting like five or six, stu- like level five and six students. They had been here. They're about to go to university. A lot of them adults, married, had families, already doctors in Saudi Arabia and Iran and Iraq and Kuwait and things like that engineers, things like that. And so I go to my last class today, and I set my stuff down. I'm like, hey, guys, I'm Teacher Caleb, brand new here, excited to be with you, teach a vocab class. Uh, I got my wife, Casey, and I ramble on for about seven minutes. I go, any questions? And then it is like a movie, just stares. And finally, one of them goes, I said, yes, what's your name? And he goes, didn't understand what I said. And he just goes, zero, zero. And I look at my sheet, and they're there, level zero. Uh, three of my students, I had seven students, three of them had gotten there Sunday night <laughs> from Saudi Arabia. One of my students um, slept overnight in the airport because he couldn't communicate to anyone, had to get a cab, didn't know what to say. Didn't, couldn't communicate. So I'm sitting there, so I'm sitting there, I have this whole thing with, so I just go, what do I do, what do I do? I'm just staring, I got 15 minutes to fill, and I just go, watch, 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 watch. I'm thinking, okay, put my watch back on. Take my shoe off. Shoe. Shoe. And like, oh, shoe. Shoe. So they always say, let's all take our shoes off. Shoe. Shoe. <laughs> and I got a big window, and I'm like, son, son. And someone goes, teacher, teacher. Son? And I go, no, but yes, English is hard. <laughs> it was the most fun two years I've ever had. We did everything, teaching them from how to learn. We would take them to restaurants and, you know, got to learn how to order. We would take them to, I would take my students to uh, the grocery store, you know, ask for bread. What, what, what do we mean by bread? Go find things like this. It was so fantastic. Take them to do things all around the city. Um, I took them to the science museum one day. You know the tree you can sing to? They all start singing in Arabic and the crowd scattered. It was, <laughs> all these people are grabbing their kids and running out. I spent two years with some of the most loving, compassionate, affectionate, friendly, caring group of people I've ever met in my life. They love me unconditionally. Every day, teacher, how can I pray for you? How can I pray? How is your wife? Tell us, how is Casey? What does Casey need? Does she need anything? We will get her, teacher, anything. How is Roslyn? Ros walks into the class and she's picked up and hugged and loved on. Uh, when I was preaching, when we were still at the Civic Center, some of you may have been here, remember, I had about, you know, 12 of them come sit front row, and uh, it was a little different around here. They, they loved it. They loved me. They had me into their home. Uh, they cooked the best food. They, they'd come into my home, my parents' home. They invited just my parents over. My parents went over and sat on the ground and ate with them in and, and their home. Um, and the first time I began to wrestle with this idea of the revelation of God, we would have conversations as we got closer and and, and more friends about Christianity and Islam and the differences. Um, but to them, there aren't very many. They're the same. So I talked to them things about God, and they'd say, yes, teacher, wonderful. 
Let me share you things about Jesus. And they say, oh, let us talk to you about Jesus. They love Jesus and everything about Jesus. They know more about Jesus than I'll know in my life. They're dedicated to the study of their religion and their worship and, and their awe of God. And I begin to wrestle with, okay, God, how do I say, how do I help understand that what they say God, what I say God is very different. What do I, how do I reveal you, God, to people who are so devout and religious? I believe God reveals himself in three ways. And we're gonna look at those three ways this morning. And they're all laid out in Psalm 19. So let's jump in, shall we? Psalm 19, uh, verse one. This is a very incredibly honest psalm. The writer C.S. Lewis, who's one of my favorite writers, he said that this is the greatest lyric in all of the world. There's nothing been more beautifully written. And this guy knows a little something about writing, C.S. Lewis. So there's nothing more beautiful than Psalm 19 to him and his mind. So a beautiful psalm. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The heavens declare the glory of God. Three ways God reveals himself to us. There's many more. We're going to look at three. The first way God reveals himself is through creation. God reveals himself. It says, the heavens declare the glory of God. He's not talking about where God dwells in that heaven. David is looking up at the sky and he sees the sun. And he feels the heat of the sun and he sees the vast expanses of the blue sky and the clouds that glide across it. And he goes, the heavens, the sky declares the glory of God and the sun sets and he sees the stars and the constellations and the magnitude, the stars that fill the sky and he sees the moon. And David says, the heavens declare the glory of God. God is glorious in his creation. There are four ways in which God is glorious. The first way, God is glorious in his size, having created something so massively big the sky and the stars and the sun and the planets and everything else that we can't even have seen yet. God is glorious in his size. God is glorious in his engineering, having created something that works together so perfectly. Our sun comes up and comes down at 24 hours with great consistency every single day. It's how it works is unbelievable. The engineering of God is glorious. He is glorious in his artistry. He created something unbelievably beautiful. How many Instagram times, how many times on Instagram have you filtered a sunset or a sunrise, right? He is glorious in his artistry and God is glorious in his goodness and his kindness. He gave all that sky for you and me that we would enjoy it. God is glorious in his goodness and his kindness. It is the firmament uh, and the firmament shows his handiwork. I use New American Standard because I'm old school. Let's roll with it. Um, It says, Day unto day utters speech, and night unto night it reveals knowledge. If Think about this. If God had placed, had not placed the stars in the night sky, the blackness of the night would have communicated very loudly to all of civilization, ancient and modern, that there is nothing and nobody else out there. There is a plan and a purpose, but God puts the sun and the stars in the sky, and we get movies about aliens, because there must be something else. But if we're stuck in a giant black box, no one would think that. God has a plan and a purpose for everything. And listen, if all of the preachers in the world, if we would all just shut up, if we would stop talking, if every one of God's people would stop communicating, the expanses of the heavens will never stop declaring the holiness, the graciousness, the goodness of God. The sun and the moon and the stars are declaring God's goodness and grace from sun up to sun down, from day to day, from night to night. The heavens declare the glory of God. Amen. They declare it. In a broken world, they declare it. It says, there is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Paul writes in Romans 1 that the invisible attributes are clearly seen and understood by the things that are made, even his eternal things. This is important. The purpose of creation, the whole purpose is to make the invisible things of God visible. That's the purpose of creation that the invisible things of God are made seen to us. You want to see God's goodness? Look up. 
You want to see God's power? Watch a shooting star fly across the sky. You'll see the power of the Lord. You want to see his grace? Watch the sunrise. Wake up early. You see his, his grace? What does it say? His mercy is new what? What does scripture say? His mercy is new every morning. Every beautiful morning. The invisible things of God are made clearly seen through the power of his creation. It says, in them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and it rejoices like a strong man to run its race. It's rising, the sun is rising from one end of heaven and its circuit to the other end, and there is nothing hidden from its heat. Uh, my family, every year we would go to uh, Colorado, and we would... That's like we took one vacation a year and it was to a Christian family camp. We were that family, super cool. Um, and it was in Colorado and we stayed in this big cabin and I'm an early riser by nature and God cursed me with that because both my kids are now um, earlier than me. And I would get up and I would uh, sit out there and drink hot chocolate and, because I don't like coffee, and the sun would come up and it would hit the top of the mountain, the top of, uh, it was called Horn Peak and it would hit, and it was still dark where we were. You know, there's snow everywhere and, uh, it would hit the top and you would see it light up the mountain and it would, it would cast an even darker shadow down on the lodge where the snow was and it would rise a little bit more and start hitting the trees and you could see it kind of gleaming through and the sun would just speckle all across the snow and then it would rise a little more and it would light up the snow and it would just like be almost like blinding, you know how it is and there's just everywhere. And then it would hit my face and you would just, you feel the warmth and the heat of it in that moment. And I'm reminded of the glorious power of our creator, God, and that sunrise. And this is what David is describing. In fact, the very first time anyone ever asked me about God, they said, how do you know there's a God? I was in Binger, Oklahoma, and there's no lights out there, and there's just stars everywhere. And I just looked up. I don't know what I said, but I started talking about all that. I was like, the, the God shows himself through his creation. My, one of my mentors, uh, my football coach, um, I coached with him um, in the last year of his life, and uh, a teacher at my school, um, he got cancer a couple years ago, and, and the Lord took him very fast. Uh, he was a believer. Uh, Don White would say that I'm a believer because of the creation. He was floored by it. He would talk to us for hours when he was supposed to be teaching us geometry. He would talk to us for hours about the bee. Let me tell you about bees and how God gave them their colors, and their colors tell their uh, enemies not to get anywhere near them. So they stay away and how they shake and move and then how they come and they dance to tell people where to go and they dance a little bit this way to take, you know, make a left around the tulip and around, you know, whatever. And he would just go on and on about the hours of how they communicate. And he's like, what kind of God would create this? How brilliant is he? He would, he would just go on and on and on about ants and how strong they were and how they communicate and do these things. He literally would tear up talking about a giraffe, how it doesn't make any sense for a neck that heavy and that long and a head that small to be able to drink water. Doesn't make any sense. What a great God we have. He said, do you realize that America is only, of, oh, northeastern America only exists because of the Gulf Stream? The Gulf Stream is 70 miles wide and 3,000 feet deep. It's a different color. You can see it when you fly over. It starts in the Gulf of Mexico and is 84 degrees. By the time it hits the Carolinas, it's still 80 degrees, warming it up. And it hits the north, northeastern America. It makes the water warm enough to give us enough rain and moisture and things to happen that uh, northeastern America is only inhabitable because of the Gulf Stream. If not for the Gulf Stream, it would be a frozen wasteland. 
And it keeps going up past North America until it gets to the Arctic region of the Baffin Bay and there's a polar stream heading south and they collide with one another. And the stream, the polar stream dives thousands of feet underneath the Gulf Stream and it keeps going south until it pops up into the West Indies, cooling down their water and relieving them in the tropical heat and giving them rain and allowing vegetation and life to happen in the West Indies. And that collision that happens that sends the polar streams to the West Indies to give them life sends the Gulf Stream east, making the British Isles inhabitable. We have an amazing creator, God. We should be floored by God reveals himself through creation. Only a brilliant creator could do this. How does God reveal himself through creation? He reveals himself through creation. The second way God reveals himself, God reveals himself through creation and God reveals himself through his word. Amen? Listen to this. It says, and man, talk about convicted this week. I, did not, I wanted to skip this part. But my dad wouldn't let me. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing in the heart. The commandments of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. It started at the beginning. The law of the Lord is perfect. Perfect, converting the soul. Some of yours might say reviving the soul, the soul or restoring life. Let's just start there. There are three benefits of the word of God. One, the benefit of life. God reveals himself through the word, the benefit of life. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Jesus says in Matthew 4, that man shall not live on bread alone. Not gonna live on bread alone, but by every word from the mouth of God. Maybe this is why Jesus went to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights and ate and drank nothing. See, Jesus understood that even more than food and drink, Jesus needed the word of God to be a part of his life. He needed that relationship, the power of the revelation of God to be in him. Jesus understands that bread and water will give us strength for a life that will die. But the word of God gives us strength for life that is eternal. The word of God gives life. Here's a quote. I want to put this on the screen. I, I read this this week and I thought it was unbelievable. This is what I talk about convicting. Our life begins with and stays alive by the word of God. If we abandon the word, we will die spiritually. And the dying is devious because its chief symptom is the denial that it is happening. How many times have I convinced myself when I've spent literally months without spending any time in this book that it has no effect on me? That is the devious part of that, that we neglect the word of God. When we don't feed ourselves the word of God, we are dying spiritually. We aren't maintaining. You either get better or get worse. My wife and I say this all the time. The people we surround ourselves either make us better or make us worse. There's no in between. And the foolish thing is we convince ourselves that it is. I haven't spent time in the word. I'm not spending time in the Bible. I'm not focusing on my life with God, but me and him are still where we were. We're okay. We're, I'm gonna pick up where we left off. No, you're not. The word of God gives life. I've never heard of anybody on their deathbed ever say, if you could just read me my bank account one more time, could you just go over my bank statements? As I take my last breath, go over my portfolio. I wanna hear it one more time. You know what I hear? I grew up a pastor's kid. I've been in many a hospital room and watched people die. They asked for Psalm 23. They asked for Romans chapter eight. They smile and come alive when you read Revelation 21. Because the word of the God revives the soul. The benefit of the word is it gives life where there is death. It revives the soul. 
The second thing is the word of God that gives the benefit of wisdom. It says the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. A wise person is somebody whose life makes sense in the life of reality, in the light of reality. That's what I like to say. A wise person is somebody whose life makes sense in the light of reality, okay? So it doesn't seem foolish for someone to store up treasures on earth if they are unaware of the reality of heaven, if they are unaware of the danger of riches, if they are unaware of the reward and sacrifice, then store up treasures on earth. You seem, you seem pretty smart. However, if you are aware of the reality of heaven and you are aware of the danger of treasures and you are very aware of the reward of sacrifice, wouldn't it be wise to not care about things that will pass away? The Bible makes us wise. The word of God, the benefit of it is it makes you wise. It changes the way in which you live. This one's hard. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Somebody says, well, I don't like some of the commandments. Well, God does. What makes them right? What makes his commandments right? You know, we can theorize and we can rationalize all the reasons of why this is right and this is wrong. And in fact, we do that. I am like the chief person. I love to deconstruct things and try to figure out what he actually meant, what is right and wrong. But you know what the honest answer why something is right? Because God said it was right. This is his universe. He created it. He makes the rules. Kind of the end of discussion. You know, I really don't like his law of gravity. I hate it. I would love to fly. I think I look pretty cool doing it. But I'm not going to test him on it. I'm not going to go walk on top of this building and step off because he's not suspending that law for me just because I don't like it. You realize we just spent time being floored by the creation and brilliance of God? How in the world he could do that? And we just talked for like a couple seconds. I got books and books and books and websites I could give you that talk to you about how this insect does this and how this animal does this and the fact that you and I can even breathe because there is an exact perfect thing in the atmosphere that allows our lungs to breathe in the things that we're breathing in and survive in our brain to do the things. The fact that my blood is doing the things that it's going to take to get me through this talk. We could be floored by that creation of God what the Gulf Stream does and the ant does and the bee does and all these things. And then we open up his word and we actually think he got some things wrong. Oxygen, he got right, but chapter four is all wrong. And that is hard for me to tell you. The statutes of the Lord are right. They're right. That's it. They're right. Now hear me say this. My ability and your ability, but Caleb's especially as I stand in front of you, my ability to read hear, understand, comprehend, and to teach those things is incredibly flawed. In my innermost core, I am a sinner. And I want this book to be right to me. That's what I want. I want it to be right to the way the world I live in as if God was unaware of the way things would look today. He can make the Gulf Stream happen, but he doesn't understand 2018 culture. Gotta be so careful. Statutes of the Lord are right our ability to understand, read, comprehend them are flawed because we are sinful people. We will always be drawn to things that are wicked. We will always want our way to be right. 
so we can be floored by creation, and yet we open this book and we try to figure out the things that he was wrong about. We've got to quit doing that. That's what my dad told me last night as he hung up. He said, the commandments of the Lord are pure, enlightening the eyes. Listen to this. A pure God can communicate no other way but pure. We never have to worry about the word of God leading people into sin or impurity. If it seems that has happened, which it does, correct? It seems that way. Then that is evidence that scriptures have been twisted. You go to 2 Peter 3.16. I'm not gonna have time to read that, but you want any evidence that, go to 2 Peter 3.16. If somebody is manipulating and twisting the word of God, go, uh uh-uh, there's a verse about that, Okay. The statutes of the Lord are right. They are pure. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The fear of the Lord there, another translation, is that reverent trust. There's a reverent trust in the Lord. But that's not to diminish. There's nothing wrong with having a fear of the Lord, right? Um, I love my dad, but I was afraid of him. And that fear kept me clean. There are a lot of things that I would have done had my dad not been uh, smarter than he is. Had he not experienced the things that he did. I knew because my dad was a druggie, hippie, he'd done everything. There was nothing I could ever get away with. My dad would sometimes lose sleep because of the things he did years and years and years ago. And one night I went downstairs to get a drink of water and he was sitting there. I said, Dad, what are you doing down here? And he said, well, I was just being chased by an octopus with spider legs shooting lasers at me. And what are you never going to do? And I was like, drugs. (laughs) Drugs. Never doing those. Kept me clean. I knew he'd figure it out. The fear of the Lord keeps us clean. There's nothing wrong with that. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. Here he declared that the words of God are true and righteous, that there is nothing false or unrighteous in his words. Now listen, for David, it was enough to simply say they are true and righteous altogether. We live in a culture where we're constantly taking the judgments of the Lord and we're trying to make them fit. And how does this organize? How does it fit here? here? David just said they're true and righteous altogether. They are. Perhaps David assumed that we would be wise and logical enough to agree with that statement and apply it to ourselves. You see, David thought they have all of this. We should read it, study it, meditate on it, love it, and live it. That's what we should do with the word of God because it makes us wise. Remember that King David wrote this psalm with only a fraction of what we have today, just a fraction. He would have had like the first five books of Moses, uh, maybe Joshua, Judges, and what he wrote down in the Psalms. Can you imagine if King David would have had the book of Isaiah or Hosea? Can you imagine what would he do if he had all of the Psalms or any of the New Testament? Guys, we should say with confidence that God's word is far more glorious than King David ever knew. We got the whole thing. The last thing, the benefit, of, uh, the benefit of the Bible. The benefit gives us life, the benefit it gives us wisdom, and it gives us the benefit of joy. The word of God gives us the benefit of joy. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is your great reward. More to be desired are they than gold. The benefit of the Bible is that it is more than gold. It is more than the sweet things of this life. David was an incredibly wealthy man, and yet he was never known for his wealth. He was known as a what? A man after what? Anyone know? Boom, there it is. You know, as a man of God's own heart. Solomon, his son, was even wiser than David, or even richer than David. Yeah, he desired wisdom. They weren't known for the riches. They understood that. 
Listen to this. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and keeping them there is great reward. David gives two reasons why the word of God is greater than material wealth and, and worldly pleasures. He said it gives instruction, warning. It says it is warned. I'm going to give you instruction, and God's word gives the benefit of a reward greater than wealth or pleasures. And keeping them, there is a great reward. What is the great reward of keeping the word of God and applying it to your life and hiding it in your heart? It gives you peace of mind. You know what you don't have to worry about? What is the point? Why am I doing this? That's all taken care of in the word of God. It will tell you, it'll help you live the life you were created to live and do the things God created you to do. It gives you peace of mind. The great reward. God reveals himself through creation and God reveals himself through his word. Verse 12, we're almost done. Who can understand his errors? Who can? There are a few errors that I can definitely understand. Um, you know, when the cop pulls me over, you know why I pulled you over? I was definitely going too fast. That I understand. But I can rationalize things. Any of us out there rationalizers? I can, uh, I'm pretty good at that. Ask my wife. I can give excuses as to why I did things and the manner in which I did them. David's saying, who can understand their faults and their errors? Well, obviously we can't understand everything, but we can know that through God's grace and atonement, he's going to cover all of our mistakes anyways. He's going to cover them all. He says, cleanse me from my secret faults. Knowing that he couldn't know just how many his errors were before God, he prayed, God, keep me from the things I don't even know that I'm doing. From my secret faults, God, keep me from them. The things that I haven't even brought to light in my own mind, God, keep me from those things. And then he gives maybe the greatest warning he gives. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. What he's saying is here, those presumptuous sins, those things we say that, I know God's going to forgive me, so I'm going to do this anyways. David said, keep me from those. If you read the book of Malachi, he tears those judges apart for this. He said, you are presuming on the goodness of God. Keep yourselves from that. Church, man, that's my prayer for us. We know that God is a good, gracious, forgiving, all-powerful God who's going to welcome us home. It's been paid in full. So keep us from our presumptuous sins. Let us not take advantage of the goodness of God. I mean, how many of us are guilty of that? Keep us from our presumptuous sins. Sin works in an awful way. There is a pattern in which it works. Sin starts from passing temptation and it moves to chosen thought. It comes from chosen thought to our object of meditation. Sin moves from the object of our meditation for wished for fulfillment. From wished for fulfillment to planned action. That's what sin does. It goes from planned action to us seeking opportunities. It comes from seeking opportunities to performing our acts. It goes from action to repeated action. We begin to repeat the sin that we did. It goes from repeated action to delight. We begin to take delight in our sins. It goes from delight to habit, from habit to idolatry, and from idolatry to slavery. That's what sin does. It makes us slaves. And he says, keep your servant from it. David, a man after God's own heart, prayed this. I think we ought to listen. Lord, keep us from our presumptuous sins. Let them not have dominion over me. King David knew that he was capable of such sins and they could have dominion over him. And listen to this. This is the great, that is so like depressing to read that and to talk to you about, I know. But listen to this, trust me, it's about to turn a corner. Then I shall be blameless. You hear that? Then I shall be blameless. 
and innocent of great transgression, the rejecting of Jesus. Hallelujah, church. You are found not guilty before the Lord, free. I heard an old pastor say, oh, the, the sinner that, who has $10 trillion, what he wouldn't give up to be found innocent, to be found not guilty. We pray these things. We wish them away from us. And Jesus says, yeah, you're free, not guilty. I took care of that. Unbelievable, the word of God does. We're gonna finish right here. Verse 14. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. David closed this glorious psalm with the humble surrender of his mouth and his heart to God. You see, he understood it wasn't just his actions that showed who he was. It was also the things he thought and said in his heart, which made him the type of person he was. Aren't you guilty of this? Well, I didn't actually say this to her. You know, here's what I wanted to say to him. Well, we're kind of guilty of that then too. David said, protect the words and the meditations of my heart. And look how he, he ends it right here. And this is the key to everything here. Oh Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The glorious God of creation, the glorious God of revelation is the glorious God of personal relationship and redemption. King David knew that, so should we. You see, God reveals himself through creation. We can agree with that. God reveals himself through his word. And lastly, God reveals himself through grace. That's how God reveals himself. He didn't have to be redeemer. He didn't have to do it, guys. He didn't have to do it. He could have given us everything we needed and said, take your best shot. But he didn't do that. He said, I will, I will create the world. I'll redeem it through Jesus. And I'll protect it through the Holy Spirit, through his church, through you and me. During Ramadan, a few years ago, when I was teaching, Ramadan is the month long that... Uh, the Islamic uh, religion takes to fast all day and all night. They don't eat or drink anything during the day. And as soon as the sun sets, they feast. And boy, do we feast. They invited me over and I had, mm, and they're hungry. I've eaten all day, but they don't eat or drink. And I got a bad cold one summer, of course, in the middle of summer, and it turned into a cough, a dry cough. It's like 110 outside, you know, during Ramadan. And they all want to go home because it's not as hot there, but and I got a bad cough and I, I would take water. I'd get to school early and I'd take water and I'd hide it in my little podium. And in between, I would just drink it as they would leave. And, and I was trying to talk and my voice was going and my voice was going and I couldn't. And one of my students, Majed, he gets up and rolls his eyes and he walks out of the class. I'm like, I don't know what's going on. And he comes back in with two bottles of water and he says, drink teacher. We love you too much to see you like this. And he, he drinks. The next day, one of my students, Muhammad and Ahmed, they, each brought me water and Gatorade and some medicine in Arabic that I didn't take. <laughs> I said, teacher, don't do this for us. This is our joy to do this for our God. My heart just aches. And I begin to talk to them. There's about 12, 15 students in the room. Tell me about Ramadan. Why do you do these things? And they begin to tell me what Allah requires of them. He requires that we don't eat or drink. Allah requires that we take this time to pray. That we do this and this and this and this and this. And they just kept talking and it kept going and going and going. 
And God said, now. Now, Caleb. And they stopped talking. And Melchizedek, my dear friends, looks at me and he says, this is the same for you, teacher? And I said, everything Allah requires of you, Jesus did for me. And out of a movie, Jaws, they begin to look at each other, look at me, look at each other, look at me, look at each other, look at me. And after a long silence, Mokhdad says, this is good, teacher. I said, we call it the good news. He goes, this is good news, teacher. This Jesus is good news. God reveals himself through his grace. Through his grace, he revealed himself in that moment. My prayer for you this week, church, is that God would reveal himself to you again, maybe for the first time. My prayer is that God would reveal himself to my students who I don't know how they have a shot. I don't know if how they were raised and the culture went there. I don't know how he's going to do it. But I pray for them all the time. That his grace is what separates our faith. His grace is what could be revealed to them. I pray for them all the time. I love them dearly. My prayer for you this week, church, is that you would look at the sun and you would look at the clouds and you would look at the moon and the stars and you would be floored by the creation our Father gave us in his glory and he would reveal himself to you that way. My prayer for you, church, is that you would open the word of God this week and he would reveal himself to you by giving you the benefit of life, by giving you the benefit of wisdom, and by giving you great joy that comes from this book, that he would reveal himself to you. And I pray, I'm not just saying this, I pray this week that the grace of God would reveal itself to you this week that unlike so many people who think they have to do something, you have to do nothing. The bill's paid in full. All you gotta do is say yes. And church, that's good news. That is transformative good news. Through creation, through his word, and hallelujah, through his grace. Lord Jesus, I pray this morning that you would do what you do you would reveal yourself to us. We thank you for your artistry, your engineering, your goodness, and your kindness that are displayed through your creation. God, we thank you for your word, that it gives life, that it gives wisdom, that it gives joy. We thank you, God, that its statutes are true that its way is pure, never changing. We don't have to worry about it. It is true and right, and it is for us. God, we thank you. Will you reveal yourself to us this week? And God, by your grace, would you reveal yourself to us for those moments we get things wrong, for those moments that we actually question what's in your word, for those moments that we doubt you, for those moments of our anger and bitterness and pride and resentment. God, we pray that you reveal yourself through your grace. Friends, I don't know where you are this morning, but maybe you need to have God revealed to you in a new way today. Maybe you need to be floored by him this morning. I pray that you would. Maybe you're in here and you've never...
God has never actually been revealed. You've never actually said yes to Jesus. I pray that right now he has revealed himself to you enough to say, I'm gonna say yes to Jesus. I want my forever to be different. I don't wanna walk out of this room the same way I walked in. Why would I wanna do that? We're gonna have people up here at the front. We'd love to pray for you. We'd love to pray that you would be, have a renewed revelation of who God is or to say yes to him for the very first time and let him change everything about your everything by his grace. That's my prayer for you. We're gonna sing about the beautiful name of Jesus. And my prayer, church, is that we would proclaim it together, being floored by him, because He has. we are blessed enough that God has revealed himself to us. So may we proclaim how beautiful his name is. Our altar is open for prayer. And you say yes to Jesus. Lord, we give you this time. We thank you for revealing yourself to us. We thank you for your grace. We walk out of here a little bit differently than the way we walked in.